0: original concluding chapter part two by richard henry dina jr this librivox recording is in the public domain original concluding chapter part two there is however one point connected with the administration of justice to seamen to which i wish seriously to call the attention of those interested in their behalf and if possible also, some of those concerned in that administration. This is the practice which prevails of making strong appeals to the jury in mitigation of damages, or to the judge, after a verdict has been rendered against a captain or officer for a lenient sentence, on the grounds of their previous good character, and of their being poor, and having friends and families depending upon them for support. These appeals have been allowed a weight which is almost incredible, and which, I think, works a greater hardship upon seamen than any one other thing in the laws, or the execution of them. Notwithstanding every advantage the captain has over the seamen in point of evidence, friends, money, and able counsel, it becomes apparent that he must fail in his defense. An appeal is then made to the jury, if it is a civil action, or to the judge, for a mitigated sentence." if it is a criminal prosecution, and, on the two grounds I have mentioned, the same form is usually gone through in every case, in the first place as to the previous good character of the party. Witnesses are brought from the town in which he resides to testify to his good character and his unexceptionable conduct when on shore. They say that he is a good father, a husband, or son, or neighbor, and that they never saw in him any signs of a cruel or tyrannical disposition i have even known evidence admitted to show the character he bore when a boy at school the owners of the vessel and other merchants and perhaps the president of the insurance company are then introduced and they testify to his correct deportment express their confidence in his honesty and say that they have never seen anything in his conduct to justify a suspicion of his being capable of cruelty or tyranny. This evidence is then put together, and great stress is laid upon the extreme respectability of those who give it. They are the companions and neighbors of the captain, it is said, men who know him in his business and domestic relations, and who knew him in his early youth, They are also men of the highest standing in the community, and who, as the captain's employers, must be supposed to know his character. This testimony is then contrasted with that of some half a dozen obscure sailors, who the council will not forget to add, are exasperated against the captain because he has found it necessary to punish them moderately, and who have combined against him, and if they have not fabricated a story entirely, have at least so exaggerated it that little confidence can be placed in it. The next thing to be done is to show to the court and jury that the captain is a poor man, and has a wife and family or other friends depending upon him for support, that if he is fined it will only be taking bread from the mouths of the innocent and helpless, and laying a burden upon them which their whole lives will not be able to work off, and that, if he is imprisoned the confinement to be sure he will have to bear but the distress consequent upon the cutting him off from his labor and means of earning his wages will fall upon a poor wife and helpless children or upon an infirm parent these two topics well put and urged home earnestly seldom fail of their effect in depreciation of this mode of proceeding and in behalf of men who i believe are every day wronged by it i would urge a few considerations which seem to me to be conclusive first as to the evidence of the good character the captain sustains on shore it is to be remembered that masters of vessels have usually been brought up in the forecastle and upon all men and especially upon those taken from lower situations the conferring of absolute power is too apt to work a great change there are many captains who i know to be cruel and tyrannical men at sea who yet among their friends and in their families have never lost the reputation they bore in childhood in fact the sea captain is seldom at home and when he is his stay is short and during the continuance of it he is surrounded by friends who treat him with kindness and consideration and he has everything to please, and at the same time to restrain him. He would be a brute indeed if, after an absence of months or years, during his short stay, so short that the novelty and excitement of it has hardly time to wear off, and the attentions he receives as a visitor and stranger hardly time to slacken, if, under such circumstances— a townsman or neighbor, would be justified in testifying against his correct and peaceable deportment. With the owners of the vessel also to which he is attached, and among merchants and insurers generally, he is a very different man from what he may be at sea, when his own master, and the master of everybody and everything about him. He knows that upon such men, and their good opinion of him, he depends for his bread, so far from their testimony being of any value in determining what his conduct would be at sea, one would expect that the master who would abuse and impose upon a man under his power would be the most compliant and deferential to his employers at home. As to the appeal made in the captain's behalf on the ground of his being poor and having persons depending upon his labor for support, the main and fatal objection to it is, that it will cover every case of the kind, and exempt nearly the whole body of masters and officers from the punishment the law has provided for them. There are very few, if any, masters or other officers of merchantmen in our country who are not poor men, and having either parents, wives, or children, or other relatives depending mainly or wholly upon their exertions for support in life few others follow the sea for substance. Now, if this appeal is to have weight with the courts in diminishing the penalty the law would otherwise inflict, is not the whole class under a privilege which will, in a degree, protect it in wrongdoing? It is not a thing that happens now and then. It is the invariable appeal, the last resort of counsel when everything else has failed." I have known cases of the most flagrant nature, where, after every effort has been made for the captain, and yet a verdict rendered against him, and all other hope failed, this appeal has been urged, and with such success that the punishment has been reduced to something little more than nominal, the court not seeming to consider that it might be made in almost every such case that could come before them. It is a little singular, too, that it seems to be confined to cases of shipmasters and officers. No one ever heard of a sentence for an offence committed on shore being reduced by the court on the ground of the prisoner's poverty and the relation in which he may stand to third persons. On the contrary, it has been thought that the certainty of that disgrace and suffering will be brought upon others as well as himself is one of the chief restraints upon the criminally disposed. Besides, this course works a peculiar hardship in the case of the sailor, for if poverty is the point in question, the sailor is the poorer of the two, and if there is a man on earth who depends upon whole limbs and an unbroken spirit for support, it is the sailor. He, too, has friends to whom his hard earnings may be of relief." and whose hearts will bleed at any cruelty or indignity practiced upon him. Yet I never knew this side of the case to be once adverted to in these arguments addressed to the leniency of the court, which are now so much in vogue. And certainly they are never allowed a moment's consideration, when a sailor is on trial for revolt, or for an injury done to an officer." notwithstanding the many difficulties which lie in a seaman's way in a court of justice, presuming that they will be modified in time, there would be little to complain of were it not for these two appeals. It is no cause of complaint that testimony of seamen against their officers is viewed with suspicion, and that great allowances is made for combinations and exaggeration on the contrary it is the judge's duty to charge the jury on these points strongly but there is reason for objection when after a strict cross-examination of witnesses after the arguments of counsel and the judge's charge a verdict is found against the master that the court should allow the practice of hearing appeals to its lenity supported solely by evidence of the captain's good conduct when on shore especially where the case is one in which no evidence but that of sailors could have been brought against the accused, and then, on this ground, and on the invariable claims of the wife and family, be induced to cut down essentially the penalty imposed by a statute made expressly for masters and officers of merchantmen, and for no one else. There are many particulars connected with the manning of vessels, the provisions given to crews, and the treatment of them while at sea, upon which there might be a good deal said, but as I have for the most part remarked upon them as they came up in the course of my narrative, I will offer nothing further now, except in the single point of the manner of shipping men. This it is well known is usually left entirely to shipping-masters, and is a cause of a great deal of difficulty which might be remedied by the captain or owner, if he has any knowledge of seamen, attending to it personally. One of the members of the firm to which our ship belonged, Mr. Sturges, had been himself a master of a vessel, and generally selected the crew from a number sent down to him from the shipping office. In this way he almost always had healthy, serviceable, and respectable men for anyone who has seen much of sailors can tell pretty well at first sight, by a man's dress, countenance, and deportment, what he would be on board ship. This same gentleman was also in the habit of seeing the crew together, and speaking to them previously to their sailing. On the day before our ship sailed, while the crew were getting their chests and clothes on board, he went down into the forecastle and spoke to them about the voyage, the clothing they would need, and provision he had made for them and saw that they had a lamp and a few other conveniences if owners or masters would generally take the same pains they would often save their crews a good deal of inconvenience besides creating a sense of satisfaction and gratitude which makes a voyage begin under good auspices and goes far toward keeping up a better state of feeling throughout its continuance it only remains now for me to speak of the associated public efforts which have been making, of late years, for the good of seamen, a far more agreeable task than that of finding fault, even where fault there is. The exertions of the General Association called the American Seamen's Friends Society, and of the other smaller societies throughout the Union, have been a true blessing to the seamen, and bid fair in course of time to change the whole nature of the circumstances in which he is placed and give him a new name as well as a new character these associations have taken hold in the right way and aimed both at making the sailor's life more comfortable and creditable and at giving him spiritual instruction connected with these efforts the spread of temperance among seamen by means of societies called in their own nautical language windward anchor societies and the distribution of books the establishment of sailors homes where they can be comfortably and cheaply boarded live quietly and decently and be in the way of religious services reading and conversation also the institution of saving banks for seamen the distribution of tracts and bibles are all means which are silently doing a great work for this class of men. These societies make the religious instruction of seamen their prominent object. If this is gained, there is no fear, but that all other things necessary will be added unto them. A sailor never becomes interested in religion without immediately learning to read, if he did not know how before. And regular habits, forehandedness, if I may use the word, in worldly affairs and hours reclaimed from indolence and vice which follow in the wake of the converted man make it sure that he will instruct himself in the knowledge necessary and suitable to his calling the religious change is the great object if this is secured there is no fear but that knowledge of things of the world will come fast enough with the sailor as with all other men in fact the cultivation of the intellect and the spread of what is commonly called useful knowledge while religious instruction is neglected is little else than changing an ignorant sinner into an intellectual and powerful one that sailor upon whom of all others the preaching of the cross is least likely to have effect is the one whose understanding has been cultivated while his heart has been left to its own devices i fully believe that those efforts which have their end in the intellectual cultivation of the sailor, in giving him scientific knowledge, putting it in his power to read everything, without securing, first of all, a right heart which shall guide him in judgment, in giving him political information and interesting him in newspapers, an end in the furtherance of which he is exhibited at ladies' fairs and public meetings, and complimented for his gallantry and generosity are all doing harm, which the labors of many faithful men cannot undo. The establishment of Bethel's in most of our own seaports, and in many foreign ports, frequented by our vessels, where the gospel is regularly preached, and the opening of sailors' homes, which I have before mentioned, where there are usually religious services and other good influences, are doing a vast deal in this cause. But it is to be remembered that the sailor's home is on the deep. Nearly all his life must be spent on board ship, and to secure a religious influence there should be the great object. The distribution of Bibles and tracts into cabins and forecastles will do much toward this. There is nothing which will gain a sailor's attention sooner and interest him more deeply than a tract, especially one which contains a story. It is difficult to engage their attention in mere essays and arguments but the simplest and shortest story in which home is spoken of kind friends a praying mother or sister a sudden death and the like often touches the hearts of the roughest and most abandoned the bible is to the sailor a sacred book it may lie in the bottom of his chest voyage after voyage but he never treats it with positive disrespect I never knew but one sailor who doubted its being the inspired word of God, and he was one who had received uncommonly good education, except that he had been brought up without an early religious influence. The most abandoned man of our crew one Sunday morning asked one of the boys to lend him his Bible. The boy said he would, but was afraid he would make sport of it. No, said the man, I don't make sport of God Almighty this is a feeling general among sailors and is a good foundation for religious influence a still greater gain is made whenever by means of a captain who is interested in the eternal welfare of those under his command there can be secured the performance of regular religious exercises and the exertion on the side of religion of that mighty influence which a captain possesses for good or for evil There are occurrences at sea which he may turn to great account, a sudden death, the apprehension of danger, or the escape from it, and the like, and all the calls for gratitude and faith. Besides, the state of things alters the whole current of feeling between the crew and their commander. His authority assumes more of a parental character, and kinder feelings exist. Godwin, though an infidel, in one of his novels, describing the relation in which a tutor stood to his pupil, says that the conviction the tutor was under, that he and his ward were both alike awaiting a state of eternal happiness or misery, and that they must appear together before the same judgment seat, operated so upon his naturally morose disposition as to produce a feeling of kindness and tenderness toward his ward, which nothing else could have caused. Such must be the effect upon the relation of master and common seamen. There are now many vessels sailing under such auspices, in which great good is done. Yet I never happened to fall in with one of them. I did not hear a prayer made, a chapter read in public, nor see anything approaching to a religious service, for two years and a quarter. There were, in the course of the voyage, many incidences which made, for the time, serious impressions upon our minds, and which might have been turned to our good, but there being no one to use the opportunity and no services, the regular return of which might have kept something of the feeling alive in us, the advantage of them was lost, to some perhaps for ever the good which a single religious captain may do can hardly be calculated in the first place as i have said a kinder state of feeling exists on board the ship there is no profanity allowed and the men are not called by any opprobrious names which is a great thing with sailors the sabbath is observed this gives the men a day of rest even if they pass it in no other way Such a captain, too, will not allow a sailor on board his ship to remain unable to read his Bible and the books given to him, and will usually instruct those who need it in writing, arithmetic, and navigation, since he has a good deal of time on his hands, which he can easily employ in such a manner. He will also have regular religious services, and in fact, by the power of his example and where it can judiciously be done, by exercise of his authority. "'will give a character to the ship and all on board. "'In foreign ports a ship is known by her captain, "'for there being no general rules in the merchant service, "'each master may adopt a plan of his own. "'It is to be remembered, too, that there are in most ships "'boys of a tender age, whose characters for life are forming, "'as well as old men, whose lives must be drawing to a close.' The greater part of sailors die at sea, and when they find their end approaching, if it does not, as is often the case, come without warning, they cannot, as on shore, send for a clergyman or some religious friend to speak to them of that hope in a Saviour, which they have neglected, if not despised, through life. But if the little hull does not contain such a one within its compass, They must be left without human aid in their great extremity. When such commanders and such ships, as I have just described, shall become more numerous, the hope of the friends of seamen will be greatly strengthened, and it is encouraging to remember that the efforts among common sailors will soon rise up such a class. For those of them who are brought under these influences will inevitably be the ones to succeed to the places of trust and authority." If there is on earth an instance where a little leaven may leaven the whole lump, it is that of the religious shipmaster. It is to the progress of this work among seamen that we must look with the greatest confidence for the remedying of those numerous minor evils and abuses that we so often hear of. It will raise the character of sailors, both as individuals and as a class, it will give weight. Their testimony in courts of justice, secure better usage to them on board ship, and add comforts to their lives on shore and at sea. There are always laws that can be passed to remove temptations from their way and to help them in their progress, and some changes in jurisdiction of the lower courts to prevent delays may and probably will be made. But generally speaking, more especially in things which concern the discipline of ships, We had better labor in this great work, and view with caution the proposal of new laws and arbitrary regulations, remembering that most of those concerned in making them are necessarily but little qualified to judge of their operation. Without any formal dedication of my narrative to that body of men, of whose common life it is intended to be a picture, I have yet borne them. Constantly in mind during its preparation. I cannot but trust that those of them into whose hands it may chance to fall will find in it that which shall render any professions of sympathy and good wishes on my part unnecessary. And I will take the liberty, in parting with my reader, who has gone down with us to the ocean and laid his hand upon its main, to commend to his kind wishes and to the benefit of his efforts that class of men, with whom, for a time, my lot was cast. I wish the rather to do this, since I feel that whatever attention this book may gain, and whatever favor it may find, I shall owe almost entirely to that interest in the sea, and those who follow it, which is so easily excited in us all. End of part two, original concluding chapter.